I'm Holly Wayment, and this is Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy pediatric practitioner. Click on the link in this podcast for free credit that may include CME, MOC, or ethics credit, depending on the topic or podcast. According to a recent NBC News story, childhood obesity rates continue to rise in the U.S., affecting nearly one in five kids and adolescents ages 2 to 19 and pediatricians know this well. To combat it, experts are calling for early and intensive treatment, according to the article. For some children, that may include, as we all know, weight loss medications. The American Academy of Pediatrics included anti-obesity drugs for the first time this year in its guidelines for treating childhood obesity. What are those guidelines? Joining me here in the podcast studio today is Dr. Luisa Rodriguez. She is a pediatric endocrinologist at the University of Texas Health Science Center and University Hospital. Dr. Rodriguez, you work out of the Texas Diabetes Institute, which is run by University Health, and you are a a wellness expert for children and also a diabetes expert Correct. for children. We, we are fortunate to have a program that is dedicated to help families, parents, guardians of children with um, weight issues, uh, specifically the ones that are um, overweight and obese, to um, engage them in dietary and lifestyle modifications and assist them in the journey of um, helping the child. That journey can be a very difficult one. Yes, and and it's it, it requires a multidisciplinary approach. Um, the family it needs to be family centered. Address behavior. Um, advice guardians and parents. Uh, give them practical advices on how to help the the child. Um, uh, control their uh, urges and expand their diet. And we know there is a lot of psycho- psychology related to the likes and dislikes uh, related to food. Um, we do have um, the medical part of our evaluation and that it encompasses not only blood testing for complications or comorbidities of obesity. Also, we do have, if the patients meet criteria for those children um, with early onset obesity before age three, we do pursue genetic testing to try to identify genes that um, lead to these um, excessive weight gain within the first three years of life. Our team also um, includes our dietitian, which offers counseling, which is culturally sensitive and personalized to the family. And we also have our social worker who um, help the families navigate um, resources for um, in the community for healthy uh, food choices, um, assistance if there is uh, food insecurity, and resources information on food banks, and he also uh, counsels families on how to um, uh, increase the physical activity, and this counseling is also age-specific. It's not the same advice that we will give a two-year-old on how to increase their activity for exercise, that the same advice that we will give a 16-year-old. And Luisa, thank you so much for being back here on the show. Um, 
This is a topic I know that it's top of mind for a lot of pediatricians. What can the community pediatrician treat in his or her clinical setting? Say if a a 12-year-old child comes into the clinic who is obese. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. And it's a complex, a complex topic. The guidelines um, released earlier this year advise primary health care providers to provide families of children 8 to 11 years old um, the option to pursue assistance with medications for weight loss. And um, the guidelines do a thorough review of the evidence that we uh, currently have on randomized and observational trials on the most commonly used or uh, studied drugs that we have for children. They do acknowledge that for um, ages younger than 12, there are very few medications that are FDA approved. And um, why do I make this statement? Because it's a conversation that is started and uh, does not necessarily mean that we're going to advise medical treatment. As many of the drugs, there is uh, no FDA approval for the younger populations, but um, we also want to engage them in um, rigorous, formal dietary and lifestyle counseling. And along the way, uh, when the child is older, they may meet criteria to start an FDA-approved drug. So, for example, here in the San Antonio area, you were mentioning a, a major grocery store chain has dietitians, registered dietitians, pediatric registered dietitians on staff who can help, and that's HEB. A total of 26 hours of dietary and lifestyle counseling is the amount of time that has been proven in um, randomized controlled trials to be effective assisting um, children with weight loss. And uh, we, we know that uh, for working families, it's sometimes hard to go to the doctor's office, especially if yes. we are... We are taking into account the amount of time that will take. We do like to um, um, remind our providers and our families of resources they may have in their community, uh, grocery stores in, in our town. We have HEB, natural grocers, that they do have classes for family and families and dietary counseling. The primary care physician may look into those uh, resources as they can refer directly. And what do uh, families like about this resource is that dietitian is probably in their local store. They can schedule meetings to see the dietitian at the store and they can provide them with counseling um, while they're doing their, their shopping. They also offer resources for telemedicine, and this allows the family to have flexibility when they are um, receiving this um, uh, dietary counseling. They are culturally sensitive and um, accessible. So um, we do we do see um, a large number of families that have already tried these resources. As going back to our topic, um, indication for medications, um, what are those? 
um, families that um, have a child um, that is obese has already tried um, some basic lifestyle modification. We already received some dietary counseling. We're trying to increase our uh, physical activity. However, we are not um, having any progress in controlling or um, having our child losing weight. Louisa, so, it, is it that would the child need to have had that 26 hours before you consider the, the medication or just a good try at it? Or what is your advice there? Is, is they need to try. Yeah, we need to have tried um, um, basic uh, behavioral, dietary, lifestyle counseling. Um, and the time span is, is relative. It will depend on what resources we have available. Um, the guidelines acknowledge that um, very few practices have the setting to provide 26 hours face-to-face counseling. Right. Um, that we should um, do the most we can with the resources we have in hand. And um, for those families that at least have attempted some basic dietary counseling and lifestyle modification, um, especially if the child has... Um, severe obesity and comorbidities, we can consider um, a trial of um, medications that can assist them um, for weight loss. Would you say, Louisa, with, with one in five kids being considered obese, is, is this an epidemic that's sweeping the United States right now? Yes, it is. And is, it has been evolving over the last uh 10, 15 years, and we do know that if you are um, obese as an adolescent, the chances that you are going to become an obese adult are very high, and that you may suffer already more severe um, complications or comorbidities of your weight, meaning hypertension, um, dyslipidemia, uh, uh, glucose intolerance. We have some some families that live in what we consider food deserts, areas that they access to um, healthier um, food um, choices is is lower, and families um, are left with probably the, the their options around them are mostly um, more processed um, foods fast foods with high fat dietary intake um, and um, food insecurity. Some families, um, they express concern that they cannot afford their um, healthier food items because they're more perishable, meaning that if you buy a big a big um, um, uh, portion of strawberries, we need to eat them within the next two days because they're going to go bad if we don't. And that's a challenge with children. Um, especially if they're picky eaters and parents cannot afford to lose to lose um, money uh, or waste food, um, that's when um, we like to, our social worker to address um, and provide families with resources on um, how to um, uh, obtain affordable, healthier food choices and um, resources in the community like our food bank where they can... Um, they can turn to um, get fruit, fresh, and vegetables um, at, uh, free or at a lower cost. I will say that other than, you know, what are the um, eating habits and food choices that we have in our area, 
after the pandemic, a lot of kids are struggling with getting back to sports. Um, and um, if they were involved in sports, um, they may have lost some of their abilities. They may have gained significant weight during um, the pandemic and while they stay home. And um, when they try to get back to their sports activities, some programs may have closed, are still having um, issues coming back. So uh, also kids are struggling with um, engaging in increased physical activity. Although I, I, I feel fortunate that we live in a city that access to parks and um, bike trails and um, outdoor recreational activities are, um, are, are easy to, to access. Families are struggling to get back out to the community and engage in those activities after the pandemic. Do you recommend the community pediatrician do some counseling, just a few things to say in the clinic? If so, what? Yeah, I have to. I feel uh, fortunate that most of our uh, pediatricians in our community they do a great job um, counseling families on the basics of expanding um, the food choices to introduce more food, uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, decreasing the intake of um, sugary drinks and reminding families that juice is not a um, is not a, a nutritious uh, source uh, for for the baby or the child. Um, Better to eat the apple than drink apple juice. Correct. Um, I feel our providers are, are are really good, and when I get referrals, you know, I enjoy reading their notes. I, I get a glance of what are the likes and dislikes of the child, whether beverages are an issue. I do feel that, um, and even in my practice, I do need that help from the dietitian. It's easy to say, but providing practical advices to the parents on the how-to, that takes time. For example, when mothers tell, tell me that their favorite juice is orange juice, um, yeah, I can counsel that mother give a practical advice. Well, you can't opt for um, crystal light or those choices that are sugar-free, but that obviously takes time. And that's where I feel uh, we all need support with our dietitian, giving those practical advices to parents. Another example is the picky eater, the child that does not eat vegetables, does not like vegetables. I had one of those, and I know it's a, it's a struggle, it's a process, and um, we need to be very patient as, as parents um, when yes. we engage of this process of expanding the diet of our of our, of our kids. Um, and I feel our dietitians um, guide the parents on how to model, um, have uh, the uh, meals together, um, parents, the adults need to model by eating the vegetables, taking the child to the grocery store, allowing them to pick vegetables, getting them engaged if age appropriate in the kitchen and in the preparation of those vegetables. So all that counseling takes a long time that um, for me as a specialist and our primary care doctors, um, a time that we, we unfortunately may not have. And um, I feel that's one of uh, the ways our center can help because we have a dedicated dietitian that is going to sit down with the family give them the, these practical advices and goals that um, they, can, they can achieve and, and uh, that are realistic for, for the family to, to engage and um, put in action. And the last time we talked, um, I know you talked about like when you're eating a salad to 
say to your kids, wow, this is so delicious and model that behavior and they see how you're enjoying your food. It's not something, eat your veggie, you know, you have to eat your vegetables. It's delicious and it's good for us. Um, when though, so when should we, someone jump to the medications? When should a pediatrician prescribe those? Yes, and um, I'm going to go over the the um, list of medications that are listed on our AAP guidelines, and um, they are indicated for those uh, children that are obese, um, in the more severe, moderate to severe BMI ranges, and they have some comorbidity related to the excessive weight gain. Also, uh, there are some specific indications for some of these medications um, that we can opt for one versus the other and contraindications as well. So there has Um, to be a comorbidity in order to prescribe them? For most of them, yes. Yes. Real Um, fast, um, Louisa, do you recommend a certain amount of exercise for a child a day, a week, or anything like that? Is there anything you want to say before we deep dive into the medications? Definitely, and we need to start with an assessment. Where is the child at, at this time? You know, if is ideally we would like for them to do at least two hours of exercise a week. And um, But if the child doesn't do any exercise, then we start with a more realistic plan of, you know, let's do 15 minutes um, every day or every two to three days. Um, but ideally, we should engage on um, a minimum of two hours of exercise. And that I tell families, you can, you can decide how you're going to do these two hours. I do explain that exercise is, you know, continuous activity, that you don't stop. So walking around the school does not count. Um, cleaning in the house does not count. All those things. So it, there, there needs to be some, you know, very specific counseling on, you know, what is exercise, what counts as exercise. And PE, uh, fortunately, a lot of our, you know, uh, children in elementary school, they do take um, PE and they are keeping them busy. Um, Exercising um, is more of a struggle for middle school and high schoolers where they they get PE less frequent. But it's such um, a shame. Yes. And we do have also counseling for patients with, for example, asthma, that they have um, issues with allergen exposure. It's hard for them to exercise outdoors. Our counselors do give them routines that involve, you know, home-based exercise, jumping jacks, and um, fun activities they can do indoors to increase their physical activity. Um, so, um, and we'll put in the, the text for this podcast, the Texas Diabetes Institute referral information for those who are interested. Yes. Especially, uh, attention to the wellness program. Yes. Because, and you run a wellness clinic out of a high school, right? We have a community school based clinic where we only see, um, children with, um, um, obesity or overweight. Um, and we have our dietitian. Um, with us um, on site to provide the counseling to these families. At the school? At the school, That yes. sounds amazing. I'm, how is that going? I bet you're making a big difference. Yes. Um, parents like it because we have three busy schools around our clinic, so they can you know take easily the child out from school and take them back. The goal long-term is that we can also partner with the school because a, every school-based clinic should 
needs to partner with the school to be successful, to have weight checks with the school, and we're on the probably on um, on the process of um, establishing those collaborations where the child can go weekly to the school nurse to check their weight. Um, so let me start with medications. And the first medication that is um, listed on the guidelines is uh, metformin, which is a medication that is commonly used to treat um, adults and children with type 2 diabetes. Um, the guidelines uh, state that this is not a medication that is FDA approved for weight loss. However, the, when they review the data, approximately 27 randomized controlled trials, 16 of them have used metformin um, or look at metformin as a um, drug um, for weight loss in pediatrics, um, in children down to age 6. Um, what do they found? How much help is metformin um, to lose weight? Um, is is a uh, small effect, the one that we can expect with metformin. Um, the average weight loss in the largest randomized trial of 100 children was uh, one point of BMI, um, which if my BMI is... 27 means that I only went down to 26. So and that's not good enough? It's, uh, it depends on how we look at it. Um, as I explained to some of my parents, not gaining weight in a child is equivalent of um, losing, losing, losing weight um, as, as the child is going to continue growing. Um, so just maintaining the weight is a, is a great, um, a great um, a benefit. So um, patients, they do lose weight, but is a very uh, small, um, the guidelines call it moderate, um, but I will say very small effect on weight loss. Um, why do I emphasize this? Because um, that's how I present it to parents and to the providers, um, so they have realistic expectations. And metformin is uh, advised as an uh, added therapy to lifestyle modifications, uh, especially for uh, obese children that may have a comorbidity that may greatly benefit from metformin therapy. And what are those? Prediabetes, glucose intolerance, um, severe insulin resistance, um, females um, with polycystic ovarian syndrome um, are the ones that um, we, we can think about prescribing metformin. Um, the guidelines also list um, patients that are on um, some um, psychiatric medications, anti atypical antipsychotics. Um, metformin has been used, especially in adults, to prevent the weight gain that the patients may have while they are receiving these medications. Um, so um, my advice is... Um, usually to stop metformin when I have um, children that are obese and they have some comorbidity that may benefit from this drug. The medications are Wegovy, Sexenda, mm -hmm. Orlistat, Osimia. Yes, so now you're uh, mentioning like the big guns. Uh, metformin, as, like I said, you know, is um, probably um, uh, listed at the top um, by the AAP because of the, um, has been in the market for more than 50 years. We know the um, side effect profile and um, benefits for diabetes. 
and um, but the effect is very small or help for weight loss compared to these um, GLP-1 receptor analogs that, um, as we will review, uh, patients can lose up to 16%. Children can lose 16% of, um, of, of their BMI. Um, Wow. And at uh, the trials where um, the the children took this medication um, for sixty eight weeks, so it's a wow. very significant. So if I just I just said previously, maintaining the weight is 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 is, is, is already a, a win on this battle against obesity. Imagine losing sixteen percent. So these are these are you know very potent agents. Um, that uh, patients do see significant weight loss, um, and and I'll go a little bit on more details on you know what are um, the side effects and um, that was my next question because mm-hmm. it sounds incredible, but yeah, what are the side effects? Yes, so for metformin, um, um, bloating, um, so nausea and transient diarrhea. And that is the good news that the side effects of metformin are transient and dose dependent. So usually we advise the families to stay on the medications because they're going to go away. Um, And um, we need to titrate the dose. Metformin needs titration. We start a low dose, 500 milligrams daily. Um, But the trials that saw the most weight loss related to metformin, um, the dose is titrated up to 2,000 to 2,500 milligrams um, a day. So every two to four weeks, depending on the tolerance of the medication, we need to increase the dose. Next on the list um, is Orlistat, and this is a lapase um, inhibitor um, that um, doesn't allow uh, fat reabsorption through the gut. Um, is not commonly used in children because the side effects um, are um, steatorrhea or fatty stools um, that are loose and frequent, um, abdominal discomfort, bloating as well. And we do all know that um, how picky are um, school teachers allowing kids to go to school. So um, it's a major drawback for the use of this medicine in pediatrics. Also, early studies to be taken three times a day. Mm. And it's very hard to have a child take an oral medication three times a day. It also requires a um, titration schedule, um, adding to the complexity, but we don't use it um, um, commonly in pediatrics due to the GI side effects and um, how it's poorly tolerated for the child and interfering with their daily activities, Mm. um, especially if they are at school. Is FDA approved for children um, 12 years or older? Um, So it's it's something that we can also keep in mind um, um, to use um, if they can tolerate the medication. Next, on the, on the guidelines, um, they um, go over the medications that you just brought up, the potent GLP-1 receptor analogs, and these are drugs that look like some natural gut hormones, and these gut hormones, they um, increase your satiety, you feel full um, faster because they slow down the gastric emptying, but now that we are learning that they also work as some Um, central nervous system receptors, decreasing the craving. 
um, for food and the appetite. Um, these medications are injectable and the frequency may vary depending on the agent from daily, once a day injection, to uh, once weekly. And um, the guidelines go over exenatide, which is a weekly injection and is indicated for obese children with type 2 diabetes. So the child needs to have already type 2 diabetes um, to be able to use this medication older than 12. Um, now then goes over Victosa or Lidogrutide, and this uh, medication um, is indicated for children. You don't need to have um, diabetes down to age 12, um, obese with or without diabetes. Um, different from exenatide, Lidogrutide is injected daily, once daily. Um, all these drugs, GLP-1 receptor analogs, they have a titration schedule. We start with a low dose um, to minimize um, side effects. And um, every four weeks, we need to increase the dose. Lidoglutide is injected daily and um, is indicated for with or without diabetes. And Wegovy, um, which is uh, once a week semaglutide, also um, injectable. And um, it was this year approved um, for um, the treatment of obesity. They need to have a comorbidity or complication um, due to their obesity. And we know that this could be, this could range from hypertension, glucose intolerance, um, elevated liver enzymes, prediabetes, obstructive sleep apnea um, among them. And um, they need, um, uh, we need to, to look for um, contraindications if there is any family history of thyroid nodules or medullary um, thyroid cancer, uh, multiple endocrine neoplasias. There is a uh, box warning um, against the use of these medications. Um, in animal models, they're observed that um, um, mice treated with these agents um, they develop um, medullary thyroid carcinoma. So it can be considered a contraindication. So that family history, we need to document it. And um, it's an injectable weekly medication. Side effects for all these GLP-1 receptor analogs um, are also dose dependent. So that's why we always start with a uh, lower dose. Um, we warn the patient you may not see a weight loss effect because we're just, you know, training your body, desensitized to the side effects. But what are these? Nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, um, and um, also in the trial, an increased incidence of gallbladder, uh, gall gallstones mm. uh, requiring, requiring cholecystectomy was seen. And this is also commonly seen in adults. So we warn them, you know, any abdominal pain that is severe, you may need to come to the ER. Um, and um, so uh, we need to make the family aware of these side effects, um, how to watch and uh, when to contact the physician. At the practical level, can uh, general providers, pediatricians prescribe this medication? Um, you will have to uh, look for the contraindications in the family history if there is any thyroid cancer. Um, and we know thyroid cancer is very common, but it's a very specific one. The medullary, if there is papillary follicular, it's not a contraindication. Um, uh, be familiar with the side effects and how to um, educate the family on identifying those and seek for help if they are uh, noticed. But I will feel that for the um, uh, pediatrician or 
primary care provider, the challenge is uh, to train the parent to give injections to your child. Um, it's not the same thing to self-inject or inject an adult than to train a parent to give an injection to a child that may be nervous, apprehensive of receiving an injectable drug. So um, that may be a, um, a, a drawback or a limitation for our general practitioners to, to prescribe it because you do need to train the parent on how to administer these at home. And that's um, something that you do in your clinic. That we do. And the titration schedule can be a little can be complicated every four weeks um the dose need to be titrated and obviously we need to check with the patient if they're tolerating it well um and what results are we getting because if you're if you do well at a lower dose not necessarily we need to crank up the dose um very few insurances are covering these medications um and um they do make sure that you know there is a comorbidity um documented that we are addressing the comorbidity as well the patient needs to have received counseling at least in in dietary lifestyle modification all those things they need to be documented community pediatricians get a lot of pressure what if you know and especially in the new year with resolutions a parent comes in their child does not have any comorbidities but they want the weight loss medication what do you advise there and, um, and won't they go, so they'll eventually find a different place to go and the pediatrician will lose that patient and that business? Yes, these, um, these families first, um, it's, it's a very common, uh, common um, scenario that we see in our clinic. And they, uh, the child is already frustrated because they have this intense hunger. They cannot control um, the parents, you know, controlling the calorie intake, limiting the food. Um, we're also tapping the psychology, psychology of food. And um, the dynamic can get extremely complicated. So we do acknowledge that um, uh, a, a, a group of patients greatly benefits from these medications that help attenuate the appetite. Um, if there is no comorbidity, uh, serious comorbidity associated to the weight gain, then uh, more likely we will prescribe the oral medications, the metformin, um, the other two that I'm going to mention next, fentermin and topiramate, and the combination of those two is kismia, um, as they are more likely um, going to be approved or covered by the insurance. The cost is less, um, and um, in the absence of a comorbidity, probably those are our resources. Um, the weight loss with, uh, for example, kismia, which is the combination of fentermin and topiramate. In some trials, uh, they also show a reduction anywhere between 5 to 7% of the BMI. Um, which is, you know, better than metformin, not as much as what we will get with um, semaglutide or liraglutide, the injectable drugs, but it's a significant percent decrease, 7%. Some studies, they show up to 16%, um, but the more consistent results um, among trials uh, range between 5 to 7% uh, BMI uh, decrease um, with kismia. And um, I think those are good options for those kids that don't have um, comorbidities and will be very difficult to um, get a GLP-1 agent um, approved, covered by the insurance. 
And the reason I, I, I mention this is because the cost of these injectable medications is in the probably 2000 range, anywhere from $1,500 a month to $2,500 a month. So wow. we've had sometimes parents that are more affluent and they say, well, I can, I can you know, probably pay for the medication. The cost over time, you know, adds up, adds up and is, 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 is extremely um, expensive. Um, so fentermine... Um, it's a norepinephrine um, um, reuptake inhibitor, and it also inhibits the uptake of serotonin. So it pretty much helps with the um, central mechanism of hunger and um, is FDA approved for short-term treatment of patients that are 16 years or older. Um, and um, the FDA states that the approval is for a three-month trial. So I usually, when I use Fentermin, I tell the patients, you know, this is just something we're going to do for the next three months. We cannot stay on this medication longer than that. And um, if there is hypertension, high blood pressure is contraindicated because that's one of the most common side effects, hypertension, raising blood pressure. Uh, some patients develop headache, um, dry mouth, palpitations. Um, and um, may not tolerate the medication. So if the patient baseline has hypertension, I, I do not opt for this, patient, for this medication because it's going to worsen it. Um, the dose needs to be titrated as well, and the best results are when it's used in combination with topiramate, which is commonly used for um, prevention of migraines, and topiramate is an anti-epileptic, um, and these drugs, uh, by mechanisms that a mechanism that is not known, also decreases appetite. It also changes the taste of sodas. So if the patient tends to uh, drink a lot of sodas, um, they taste very flat. And in adults, uh, topiramate has an indication um, uh, for binge eating. Um, mm. uh, in older than eighteen. Um, in combination with fentermin is Kismia, the commercial name, and the dose also needs to be titrated. Um, and as I already mentioned, the weight loss could range anywhere from 5 to 7% decrease on BMI. Um, what are the side effects of the topiramate with or without the combination of the fentermin? Um, that uh, the Maybe cognitive slowdown, so parents tend to notice that, oh, the child is very slow at school, and they don't like to see the, the child be either less active or not as sharp as they, you know, perceive them. They, they are at baseline, baseline. Also, there is a teratogenic effect, meaning that if this is a teenager that is sexually active, we need to have the conversation of having, um, having birth control, because uh, if, they, if they get pregnant while they're on topiramate, um, the baby may, may have significant congenital malformations. So there needs to be some counseling um, for um, the uh, teenagers um, or menstruating females to prevent pregnancy. When we talk about these new medications, the big guns, once a, a child starts those medications, do they eventually get off of them, or is it something that it's they stay on for a long time if the parent or caregiver can afford it? Um, because they're so expensive, uh, obviously we depend on, um, on assistance from um, insurance or coverage with insurance. And they're but not that's covered? a big question, even in the adult world. 
um, how long are adults going to be taking these medications? We don't know. Um, uh, we uh, scientists and experts in the field they spec- speculate that you know if you're having good results, you respond well to treatment, you're tolerating well. Um, it might be a lifetime, you know, a long-term chronic treatment for for the obesity. Um, so uh, I think that's 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 something that we we need you know uh, more data, but we are anticipating that yes, that is we're talking about years uh, on these medications. Louisa, do you think that the the new medications for obesity will be eventually covered by insurance? Uh, we we hope so. Yes, they're now part of our guidelines, and they are great results in the adult population we feel um we feel um optimistic that it's a matter of time that um um, payers will be on board as we know how um how uh, expensive is to treat all the comorbidities associated to obesity if we look at the cost probably will be uh wise to 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 prevent um all these um, comorbidities and complications f- that they may entitle and um, uh, use these agents. The last medication mentioned in the guidelines is a medicine that pediatricians are very familiar with because it's used for ADHD. It's called Vivens. It's an oral medication. And Vivens um, has been proven to help with binge eating, um, but it's not does not have an indication for um, weight loss. And I sometimes suggest some pediatricians to keep it in mind because if you have an obese child with ADHD, it might be a good option to try Vivens. It may help with the weight. Um, and you're treating, you, you're, you're, you're tiri- treating the ADHD um, on this child, so it might be a good option for that population. Um, so um, the guidelines state, you know, what are the prescriber qualifications? Who can prescribe these? And as we have mentioned along the way, if the provider feels comfortable um, with the side effect profile, um, educating the patient and the family on the side effects, monitoring for side effects, um, and teaching um, the family when it's an injectable drug how to give it to a child, um, it's, um, they can, by no means, they can prescribe it. Um, I do have some family practitioners that feel uh, comfortable doing um, metformin, GLP-1 analogs, because they commonly prescribe it in adults, so they, they do um, uh, prescribe it sometime in children, but they do acknowledge that you need to make sure you are also um, along the way providing the support um, to the family on behavioral, dietary, and um, lifestyle in general counseling. So um, most practitioners prefer to refer to uh, weight management centers where um, we have the staff and can provide the support, uh, multidisciplinary support the family needs. Louisa, this is all just such valuable information. Thank you so much for being here today, here on Pediatrics Now again. Is there anything else you want to mention? Any more advice for the busy pediatric practitioner where they have so much coming at them? Yes, I think that continue with the great work they do um, with the screening for comorbidities and um, screening for um, with lipid profile, fasting lipid profile, screening for prediabetes, 
monitor the liver enzymes and um, blood pressure, uh, seedal readings. Um, uh, we do get a lot of help from our primary care providers with um, coordinating um, sleep studies um, and screening for sleep apnea. That's extremely important and very helpful. Um, and uh, we do acknowledge that um, the counseling is a, is, is a long-term and complex process in, when it comes down to dietary and physical activity. And um, we, our center is, uh, is, is a good resource for that. Um, having said that, um, we have uh, families that, due to the lack of time, they declined declined to see the dietitian, declined to meet with our um, counselor and social worker, unfortunately, and, and um, we cannot obligate them. But I always mention to the family, you know, we're here for when you need us. And also readiness. Some patients are not ready to engage in um, um, a formal weight loss program. And then our job is to educate the family and monitor for the comorbidities um, and reassess. You know, we know that teenagers and adolescents, they change their mind all the time. Yes. Um, now during the holidays, who wants to come and see the doctor that is going to tell you not to eat, not to do this, um, the food police, right. um, if you want to call it that way. Um, we try to, to keep a very you know, positive, optimistic uh, atmosphere in our clinic, and um, we advocate for moderation. Uh, not to eliminate uh, food uh, groups or items from your diet, but to consume them in, in moderation, in healthy portions. Uh, we do uh, advise our families against, you know, sugary beverages. We tell them, you know, it's probably that's a deal breaker. Um, the good news is that there are so many substitutes for any drink that you like that, you know, if your thing is like Coke, you can opt for Coke Zero or Diet Coke. And um, I also advise my, my families, you know, after we have a big meal, big dinner, let's go for a walk, let's do some dancing, let's burn off those calories. And um, I feel the families leave the clinic, you know, empowered and feeling that there are things they can do and still enjoy the holidays. Um, it's common to say if you, oh, I've blown my diet now by eating these cookies, I might as well just eat a lot more, but really... Don't do that. Just not going crazy, you know, eating as much as you can because you've blown your diet. Just not doing that and enjoying the cookies that you ate. That's a big step, right? Yes, and um, sharing. I sometimes tell the families, you know, if you have a lot of leftovers, I, uh, take it to a neighbor uh, or take them to work. If we have the item at home, yeah, we're, we're humans, and it's part of human nature to sometimes gravitate to the um, uh, more calorie-dense foods. Um, so limiting the supply at home um, is, is going, to, is going to, 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 to help you and your child um, limit the caloric intake. And, you know, we're in the season of giving and showing gratitude. You take that opportunity to, you know, um, get some cookies to the neighbor, to your coworkers, share the calories. Louisa, any other lifestyle advice, what you do in your family? I know you mentioned you like to hike. Yes, I, I try to follow uh, the advices that I give my patients. So usually um, walk the dogs, go for a walk, go around your neighborhood after dinner, after a big meal. And um, we are pretty strict at home with um, uh, 
sugary drinks. Um, try That's to, the big one. Yes, and even when I host birthday parties, when I prepare the crystal light or the Kool-Aid zero sugar, uh, kids don't even notice the difference. Um, so you will be surprised. Same thing for cauliflower pizza. When I did it at my house for the first time, I thought maybe they're going to throw me away from the house. And nobody <laughs> noticed the difference. Um, they, everybody liked it. Um, they only, <laughs> That's a great idea. They only thought it was like a thin crust pizza. They never thought it was cauliflower pizza. Um, so um, it's an and I I read not long ago a study about how um, groups in Japan they. Um, they instill healthier eating habits by explaining um, the kids early on what is the source of the food um, that they're eating. And um, especially when it's age-appropriate, when you show your kid, you know, what is the source for hot dogs and lunch meats, you know, they start, you know, not loving it as much. So um, That's right. My, my teenage son, who's 15, he will not eat hot dogs now. And he used to love them, and it was when I told him what it's made of and really what's in there, you know, that, that really did help. Yeah, in Japan, this process is, 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 takes place at school and very early, at a very early age. I feel that, you know, we have to, to do that, at, you know, as a homework at work with, uh, with our children. But I feel that works as well. And I feel, um, which is a very frequent advice I give to the parents in my clinic, um, don't say no. You start a talk war, and um, some kids are very um, resistant to no. Um, I I try to say later. We want a snack. I say, well, come back later. And redirect attention to um, an activity that will keep them busy. Um, do a puzzle, walk the dog, um, or do a chore, and then we, you know, come back for the snacks. Um, having scheduled meals and snacks and expectation of schedule helps helps children in general. Um, so um, I also try to do that at home as much as I can, That's and a great that sets an expectation. You know, it's not it's not time for the snack. You know, we will already have the snacks. Or at home, I say, you know, the kitchen is already closed. There is. Um, um, now it's time to, you know, to, to do our, our chores, our bedtime routine, and uh, try to deviate the attention. Because isn't the, it's the most unpopular word in, the, in any language is no, but to say later, maybe later, you know, is much better. And later can be tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's yeah. great. And I feel that um, uh, negotiating and meeting uh Let's meet in the middle. Um, Yeah, we cannot do McDonald's every day or every week, but maybe once every three months or maybe once a month, you know, every family can decide what, you know, um, spuriously we can do those things uh, or those less healthy um, food uh, options that our kids tend to love. They're very, uh, they're highly palatable, the fast food, but as we know, it's not good for us or our kids. Yes, um... And, um, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's uh, something that we can do spuriously. And I also explained uh, my patients that, you know, sugary drinks are for special occasions and not every day is a special occasion. A lot of, you know, food items are for special occasions and we need to, to consume them as such. Not every day is a birthday party, not every day is a gathering. And um, 
that's when we get in trouble when we start to overdo those items that we should consume only on special occasions. Thank you, Luisa. Is there anything else you want to mention to the busy pediatric practitioner? Um, travel, any advice there? Well, we're in the season, yeah, of traveling, and I feel that traveling with medication can be a challenge for some parents and kids. Um, and in, in our clinic, especially that we treat kids with diabetes, that take injectable medications, um, we educate them on the TSA guidelines, um, you, as long as you have your medication label with the name of the patient and specific instructions, you can travel without a letter from your practitioner. The person um, needing the medication needs to be present. So I always tell parents, if mom and dad for some reason get separated or we take different flights, um, the parent that stays with the child that takes the medication needs to keep them, not send them with the other parent that is departing because that could be some uh, problem when they do the security check-in um, to keep the medications with them, um, not to put them in the luggage because those temperatures, you know, your medication may be frozen if it's a liquid medication and some liquid medications um, can decompose at extreme temperatures. So always keep it with you on your carry-on and um, you never know when it, um, you're going to be... Uh, you're, there's going to be a flight delay, so your luggage may go to one place and you may still be halfway to your final destination. So always keep the medications with you and bring a little bit extra. You're traveling for a week, maybe bring medication supply for two weeks. Um, as you never know, if for some reason you need to extend your trip, um, uh, Australian emergency may come up, you're not running short of medicines. And Louisa, when you were on the show last time, you know, in pediatrics now, we'd like to talk about what we like to do in our spare time to have a life outside of medicine. And I remember you said you like to multitask and like, I know, that's when you know you're really busy if that's what you're doing in your spare time. But you'd like to go on walks while you're making a phone call. Are you, um, are you still multitasking or are you doing anything Multitasking else. Multitasking on the holidays. That means talking to my mom while I'm wrapping presents and talking about our memories uh, when we were kids. Um, now during the holidays, we love to watch our favorite Christmas movies. And I try to, um, you know, I think part of uh, a good parenting I, advice I give to my, my patients is... Um, to teach kids to share, it's, it starts at home. So I tell my child today, you pick the movie. Tomorrow I pick the movie. And we watch her the, her movie of choice, but also my favorite childhood movie. And um, usually um, she either likes it or hates it. Um, but um, trying to pass on those, you know, cultural, uh, um, iconic um, movies from our our our. our our island and our culture to the next generation is something that I try to do during the holidays. Our recipes also, you know, now that we can cook together, teach her the recipes that my mom taught me and having fun in, in the kitchen um, is another thing that we like to do over the holidays. Do you have a favorite movie you want to mention? What What is your favorite movie? Oh, my child would jump and say Elf is my favorite movie. That's such a great, that's yours or it's your mine, daughter's? Yes, mine. I love that movie. It's yes. so great. Yes. And I also love the movie, not a holiday movie, but The Sound of Music. Oh, that yes. Was, my daughter watched that in school recently and 
I remember I saw that when I was, it was the first movie I saw in a theater, and it was just so magical. Yes. And what about recipes? Do you have a favorite recipe? Um, now during the holidays, uh, I'm from Puerto Rico, so we do our version of tamales that is called pasteles, which is a long, tedious process. But we can get kids involved helping with the cutting of some of the ingredients. So it's a fun family um, cooking adventure. And uh, we also drink coquito, which is our version of the eggnog. And, Milk um, with cinnamon? It has is based on coconut milk, and you can prepare it with or without alcohol. And, um, yeah, those are some of the recipes we tend to do now during the holidays. My daughter loves to do cookies, so I always encourage her to do a batch of, you know, oatmeal, some, you know, healthy options for the cookies. And, and we're getting better at those, at uh, getting those to come out really good and palatable um, and share them with our friends. Dr. Luisa Rodriguez, pediatric endocrinologist at the University of Texas Health Science Center and University Hospital. Thank you so much for being back here and enlightening us on Pediatrics Now. Oh, thank you for the invitation. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. I'm Holly Wayment. I hope you can join us for our next episode. You're listening to Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy pediatric practitioner.